Hello, Palava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Alicia Foon. Coming up, the U.S. makes commitments to Pacific young people on global issues. Also, with the support of the other leaders, we can have a, an exciting forum in Tonga. Tonga's Prime Minister is adamant the Pacific Islands Forum General Secretary Baron Wong a misunderstanding is smoothed over. And later... Welcome to the 2023 Pacific Games. The 17th Pacific Games officially opened in Solomon Islands with a colourful celebration. The U.S. Department of State Special Envoy for Global Youth Issues, Abby Finkener, has met with dozens of Pacific young people about their concerns regarding major issues like climate change and education. She met with Pacifica from across the region during a special trip to New Zealand for the 10th anniversary of the Young Pacific Leaders Programme. The YPL programme is a way the United States supports youth development to address global challenges. I spoke with Abby Finkener about the program and about why young Pacific voices are needed at the global decision-making table. The YPL uh, community actually consists of young leaders who are between the ages of 25 and 35. Really kind of that young professional, which is YPL is our Young Pacific Leaders Program. Island nations and territories um, are involved in it. And so we've got over 600 alumni that are involved in the program for young people to actually be heard in spaces where all too often um, in the past they haven't been. The reason this role exists is because President Biden in particular um, a year ago asked me to do this. Um, uh, there, so we had never had a special envoy for global youth before in the history of the United States, but it was such an important piece for him in particular to make sure that we are hearing from young people, that we are hearing their stories, and not just hearing from them and, and talking to them about the policy space, but also encouraging them to run for office themselves and be policymakers. I think for real change to continue to happen, we've got to have more young people at that decision-making table in that policy-making space. What advice do you have for young people that want to break into the political space and truly make a difference and, and maybe even um, graduate from being an advocate and working alongside NGOs to becoming policymakers? and being in government. I know this sounds a little bit cheesy, but I really believe that being young, um, although they, you know there are so many barriers when it comes to running for office or rising within an organization, so many, right? Cultural barriers, institutional barriers, your own personal barriers of what you think you might be able to do. As many barriers as there are, I also believe that being young is your superpower and that when you're young, you have this ability to um, push the envelope a little bit, take those chances, um, try to run for office. You know, you might not win the first time, um, but you also might. Not just a nice thing to do to have young people involved and to have them at the table. It's necessary to actually, again, deal with the most pressing challenges of today and tomorrow. And so that would be my advice is you don't have to wait, um, you know, and you don't actually have to be an expert in absolutely everything before you do a thing you care about. You can continue to grow. You can know. And also you have to know your why. It cannot be because of, you know, you think it's fancy or because, the, you know, you see fancy chandeliers or a fancy title and you want that because if it's that reason, 
you'll be burnt out and you'll be exhausted and you won't stay in it. It's got to be because you care about your community um, for a very specific reason and you want to do more for your community and also the world as a whole. And so we need young people more than we've ever had before. What will you be telling Biden about your visit? One person on one island, right, can make an extraordinary difference for generations to come. And how it's so important that we continue to provide that grant funding, that we continue to to provide, you know, leadership training, build those exchanges as well to learn from each other. That's the type of stuff that I know if we continue to do. Um, it's not just, you know, it's not just good for this region. It's good for the United States and it's good for the globe as a whole. And that's the type of stuff that I will continue to champion, um, tell everyone, not just President Biden, but literally anybody um, about why this is important and um, why, you know, I, I, again, can't wait to continue to build this relationship in, in this capacity as Special Envoy for Global Youth. The young people I met, they are busy. They are living their lives, taking care of family, um, their careers, their professional organizations, and yet are still part of, as I like to say, citizen diplomacy of building these relationships. And it's it's so important on so many levels. And just to keep being involved and know that we are going to be here, continuing to be good partners in any way that we can and continuing to listen and grow. But we can only do that. Um, if young people continue to want to be involved here. And so that just means so much to us. And again, I can't wait to be back and hope to meet even more young people when I am. A man associated with what is viewed as an extreme left party in Tonga has been arrested after threatening to kill a political rival on social media, Afiada Masima with the Patoa party, was described by police as a political activist. Our correspondent in Tonga, Galafi Moala, told Caleb Fotheringham he has never seen a case like this before. In the past several years, Mr. Masima has become a very well-known political activist through social media. And he's part of what they call here the Patoa Party. And that's the party that advocates for reform, for democratic rule, and so on. Now, in opposition to that party is another group called the Two Movement, T-U Movement. And that's led by a gentleman that lives in Australia. And they have a following, especially overseas in New Zealand, Australia, USA, as well as back here in Tonga. Now, these two groups have been at each other's throats for quite a while. And Masima has been accused of allegedly through his programs on social media, went on to threaten to kill the leader of the opposition movement. And on Saturday, this past weekend, they arrested him and jailed him uh, pending uh, further investigation. Although the police have officially said that our investigation has revealed substantial evidence linking the suspect to a serious crime. And the crime is that uh, apparently attempted murder. He had threatened uh, to kill this particular person in opposition. Well, so just on social media saying that he wanted to obviously kill this person, that was enough to get an attempted murder charge. That's correct, because since the age of social media, and I think this goes back about three or four years ago, Tonga have come up with legislations in collaboration with other countries 
concerning online, what we call online crimes, defamation that can be committed on online communication, threats uh, at what happened in this particular case. And so we, we do have legislations, and Mr. Masima is accused of, of uh, breaking the, the rule of law. Staying in Tonga, Prime Minister Huakawa Meleku Siosi Suvalene is adamant that NADU's Secretary-General Baron Wonga's misunderstanding has been smoothed over. This following the new NADU president and his delegation leaving this year's leaders' summit in the Cook Islands 24 hours after he walked out of a plenary meeting. Tonga is hosting the next leaders' summit and Huakawa Meleku Siosi Suvalene is the incoming chair. He brushed off the controversy and told Lydia Lewis he's focused on the future. I look forward to it. I mean, to actually uh, work with Baron Wong. I look forward to actually uh, working with Secretary Puna until his term ends. And hopefully, with, with the support of the other leaders, we can have a, an exciting forum in Tonga. What can we expect? Oh, of course, climate change will be a, a key topic, you know. Uh, loss and damage, what's going to happen at COP28 will be a big thing. It's, see how we respond or see how what we can progress from what's going to happen in COP28. But also looking at the resilient facilities, you know, and hopefully that they can address some of our concerns about readily accessing uh, financial assistance to some of our Pacific countries. Because as we, well, we have discussed before, I mean, people are talking about the negative impact of climate change we are already experiencing. So we need some kind of facility that we can easily access to actually provide that, that crisis mode uh, support for some of the Pacific countries. I want to talk a little bit about regional unity. Are we back to the Kiribati situation? No, we're not. There was some misunderstanding, but I think with uh, the outcome that we, uh, we produced after the retreat, uh, it will put at ease some of the worries that uh, members may have. Was it disappointing at all that Nauru left? Oh, we do understand that they have strong feelings about uh, you know how it can be, uh, uh, how it may be interpreted. Uh, but the intention wasn't wasn't that. Right? So, uh, part of the outcome is actually to clarify, uh, which is, I mean, after the appointment, it's more about what happened next. The whole discussion is whether the, 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 uh, what was raised was uh, misinterpreted, you know, as I said earlier on. Uh, and we spent a bit of time actually trying to correct the, the, uh, the outcome to actually reflect that we're not questioning the appointment that was done in February. It was more about after the appointment of uh, Baron Wanga, then uh, what are the processes uh, after that. In three words, how would you describe the outcomes of this meeting? A good way forward. The 17th Pacific Games officially opened in Solomon Islands overnight, with the host nation pulling out all the stops to put on a vibrant and colourful celebration of culture and unity. Thousands of athletes from 24 Pacific Island countries and territories, including New Zealand and Australia, will be vying for bronze, silver and gold in 24 sports over the next two weeks. Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasseh Songavare welcomed the Pacific delegations in Honiara. RNZ Pacific editor Karoi Hawkins is there.
It's the country's first time hosting a Pacific Games. On behalf of all Solomon Islanders, welcome to the 2023 Pacific Games and to our home. Organizers could have sold out the 10,000-seat national stadium several times over, with hundreds lining the nearby hills and even climbing up on rooftops and trees to get a glimpse of the spectacle. In the stands, I spoke with Sherilyn Tassab, born in Papua New Guinea, but from the Solomon Islands. She's cheering for both countries at these games. I'm just so excited. I, I come to wait for it, and I'm just like... I, I... I just want to see all these um, athletes and all from other countries that are here. I just want to see them. I just want to like, you know, jump up and just say, yay, we made it. Like Solomon Island, this is us. Yumi, yumi now. The athletes parade was by far the highlight of the show, with each contingent greeted by deafening applause. Martial artist Philippe Ananir is competing in karate for New Caledonia, who are the defending champions. I asked him how it felt being here for the games. Uh, it feels amazing to see the, the atmosphere with everyone cheering from every island from the Pacific. It's very nice. New Caledonia are champions. You are the champions of the whole games from last time. Are we? Uh, are, you, are you here to defend your title? Uh, we are definitely here to defend our title, yeah. But first we are here to share the experience with everyone else in the Pacific. With the ceremony out of the way, an even more animated Manasi Songovare returned to the podium. And on behalf of all Solomon Islanders, and in the presence of all of you here, and those watching and listening throughout the world, I am honored to declare the 2023 Pacific Games open! Today, seven sports get underway in Honiara. Tennis, table tennis, judo, rugby league nines, swimming, sailing and weightlifting. While basketball, football and volleyball, which started last week, continue with their competitions. The longest mural in the South Pacific is finally complete. Leading the project is Gonzalo Aldana, a Mexican living in the Cook Islands who has been working on the mural for over a year alongside a team of local artists. Spanning 562 metres, the incredible piece of art in Rarotonga showcases the unique biodiversity and culture of the nation's 15 islands. Tiana Haxton spoke to Aldana about the project. After 18 months of work, finally we are... Uh, finishing and happy to announce that the unveiling of the seawall mural of Maramoana in Rarotonga Cook Island is about to be presented very, very soon. It becomes the longest mural in the South Pacific and is like definitely the longest one. It's not the biggest one, but it's the longest one. The measure is, is, the, is 562 meters long and is um, also just in comparison, the um, is three times longer than the World Record Guinness that is in Silos in Seoul, Korea, and that is uh, 168 meters long. Of course, it's way taller, no? But it's 168 meters long, and this one is 562. I've seen the mural progressing myself, and the incredible artworks showcasing each of the Pai'inua. Tell us about what's captured in your mural. Well, the 
Seawall mural in Rarotonga Cook Islands is a cultural mural about to represent the 15 islands of the Cook Islands. As for example, specific motifs in, in Cook, Island, uh, Cook Island Polynesian patterns, like specific for, uh, from the Cook Islands, like endemic species, local flora and fauna, and also some some traditions, some some legends, and some um, stories, and, and part of the story as well of the of the Cook Island. Around of 292 fishes and marine creatures, 67 Cook Island. Um, Cook Islander faces, and 33 different species of birds, uh, 21 aerial views of uh, and maps of the different islands of the Cook Islands, and many, many, many other elements that make it like, like obvious uh, that it has been a very long journey, and it's been a, an epic, an epic project. It is a huge project indeed, and no doubt many hands make light work. You've had an amazing team working alongside you. How's that been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In general, like like the full total is is a team made of um, at the moment 14, 14 helpers, only four foreigners for from New Zealand, Australia, and Finland. But the other the other ten has been all. Uh, fully local talent, uh, Rarotonga, like all Kukalan, a very talented artist. But yeah, I'm very grateful, definitely. Um, all the time I could feel the, the support and the good vibration and everybody uh, putting their, their effort and, and their time and their passion to make happen also this, this beautiful project uh, to come true. And how about for yourself personally? 18 months is a long time. How are you feeling now that you're done? I don't know. I'm going to sound cheesy, but sometimes like um, when you have a, like a big mission and when you, when you are just starting and you see how big it is and you're like, oh, my God, and you're not sure if you can make it or not. And then when it's finally done, you feel like, wow, really, really, we had to walk that all that, big, all that long journey. And in that way, I feel really, really grateful with the universe. I think, like, with everybody who trusts in my work. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm totally, totally thankful with the community, too. And, yeah, I, it's difficult to describe how I feel. But, yeah, definitely, definitely very blessed for being part of this. And, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to share with my grandchildren the story of the Rarotonga Seawall. And finally, for those who are going to be going down to check out the seawall mural, what do you want them to get out of the experience of walking alongside this beautiful art piece? Well, the project is not just about the the artwork. It's also, as I told you, it's about to create like a educational spot where everybody can can see part of the of the of the identity of the Cook Islands as well. Marae Moana um, committee will attach some QR codes all around the, the seawall. Uh, and you can, when you are walking around, you can scan it, you will be connected to the website and you can see exactly the explanation of every element. What is that species? What is that story? Who is that person? What is that tradition? Everything about the seawall will be explained over there. Uh, it's going to be a pleasure to show it. It's very beautiful. It's very vibrant. It's colorful. And, um, well, it will be, will be a pleasure if they can enjoy the, the public gallery that we created. And, yeah, good vibration for everyone. <laughs> and thank you. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. 
We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, Tofa Soi Fua.